0: This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Christ. Christ. Reading from chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. On the third day, then be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit for a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or What shall a man give to return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with the angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pray with me. God, we pray that you would draw near. Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes to see what you have for us today and our ears to hear. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So it's Austria. You with me? Mid-18th century, right? You are a harpsichord player. Now for those who don't know what that is, think piano in your mind. Uh, It's close enough. I'm okay with that. Deb might be mad at me, but think piano in your mind. Okay, You're a harpsichord player, and you're good. I mean, real good. You've been entertaining for years. You travel around with a small crew, a chamber orchestra, and you do parties and events. You are really good. You find yourself one time at this party, and before it begins, there is a small boy sitting on your seat. Now, This is your seat. Uh, You've earned this seat. You don't like for people to sit on your seat. But maybe, maybe you're feeling generous. And so you sit beside this boy and uh, this kid whose eyes are wide open and they're studying the keyboard. And and you want to teach him a couple of things. You talk down to the kid, but it's in ignorance. It's not out of malice, right? Right. And you talk down to the kid, and you teach him a couple things. You say, hey, just listen, don't touch, right? You're the professional. You control the keys, and, uh, and you teach him some things. And right before he leaves, you grab this kid's name, and he says to you, hey, my friends call me Wolfgang Gottlieb, or, or sometimes they call me Wolfgang Amadeus. But, but my dad wants me to go by my full name, which is Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, and he walks away, Okay? You, you with me? You know this kid's name. You've heard the stories. This kid was a genius. You sit in shame uh, because, in truth, in his presence, you were sitting in his seat, not he in yours. Here was a kid who saw music differently. It danced around in his head. It was unexplainable how good he was. He played it flawlessly at age four. He was composing at age five. He understood composition and form and was a master at it before he hit double digits. His grasp of music was different. But you don't know what you don't know. You didn't know who this kid was, right? You were pointing at uh, the keys and talking about their letters associated with the notes while uh, he was writing stories with those letters before you ever sat down. In the presence of a master, the novice is exposed. In the presence of truth, the lesser is shamed. We're talking about you again, Peter, this morning talking about me Uh, but let's set up our defense first right Uh, not an excuse just the context for Peter so here we are Peter the rock right we heard last week the rock on this I'm going to build my church on 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 what Peter said what was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit right this is Peter in our gospel reading this morning Peter feels really human though this week right Jesus knowing his mission, knowing the call from his father, the master at work is informing and preparing his disciples for what happens next. And this week, Peter has some things to say and it's not his best showing. Let's be honest. I think if I were writing and narrating this, uh, in our Peter, a leader with influence, uh, maybe even enough influence to call in a favor, I might be like, "Hey Matthew, can we do can we do me a solid and cut that part out?" Uh I mean, I love the section where you call me the rock and where, where Jesus said such great things of me. But if, if you want to just stop there and not, not write the part about me being a stumbling block and, and Satan, that would be great. Can we just cut? Look, it was an honest misunderstanding. It happens sometimes, right? Uh, that would be my appeal. That would be my appeal if I were Peter. And, and, and by the way, it was, it was a reasonable thing that he said. He didn't know what he didn't know. Think about it. You're part of a revolution, right? There's a new way of doing life. Your teacher, your rabbi, you just found out he was the Messiah, right? We heard about that last week. Jesus is the Lord, the Christ, the King, the one that we've been waiting for, The Jews for history have been waiting for. And there is history behind him being the Messiah and our expectations of what went along with that, right? The Jews thought that this Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, would come and he would deliver them from their Roman oppressors, right? And he would once again set up this beautiful, independent Jewish kingdom. A king from the line of David uh, who would be just like David, the great king. Just in case you aren't buying this narrative and you think I'm making this up. uh, At the birth of Jesus, when the wise men came, they came from the east and they came to King Herod and they said, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? King Herod, who ruled in Judea under the Romans, he clearly understood that the Messiah for the Jews and the expected nature of what and who the Messiah was. It was to rival himself. He was the king, but now there was a king that was born. So what did he do? He, he knew his assignment. He did what insecure tyrants do who are trying to secure their power and their dynasty, right? The story goes that he kills everybody in Bethlehem around the city of David that is around the age of Jesus. He knows the expectations of Messiah, And when he hears that one is born, he moves to get rid of that king, right? You with me? That's what's going on here. A king of the Jews was born. There were expectations around Messiah. Now, next question in Peter's defense you know what kind of kings have kingdoms? This isn't a trick question. Ones that are alive. Jesus was telling his disciples, uh, this newly revealed Messiah, that he was going to suffer many things at the hands of religious leaders and that he was going to be put to death. So when Peter takes him aside, let's be honest for a second, it makes sense. Let's also be honest, he missed the other part where he said he was going to die and then raise again on the third day. But I also want to give Peter some grace here because if I just heard that my Messiah, my friend, my teacher was going to be put to death, that's all I would be thinking about and all I would be hearing. And a dead king is a failed king in their minds. Peter couldn't let Jesus die. At least Peter was respectful though, right? He he took Jesus to the side. He didn't want to shame him in front of his friends, you could see him pulling him into the corner to have this conversation. And verse 22 picks up and it says this. He began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. You can, you can hear the loyalty dripping from his words, right? And then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human Concerns, From another translation, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Or for you are setting your mind on the things of God. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, you are seeing what's going on, but you don't see the big picture. Peter, you are staring at the notes, but you are missing the symphony and what God is writing here. It was reasonable, Peter's advice. He pulled Jesus aside, like maybe he didn't realize how the world worked. Look, Jesus, you've been right up to this point, but you don't really get it. So let me inform you how this world works and what messiahship means and what kings do, right? You don't get it. You see, Peter's idea of Messiah, it framed his expectations and behavior. And also what he believed the expected behavior would be that he was imposing on Jesus. You following me here, Jesus, you can't die. Because that's not what Messiahs do. Peter doesn't know that this was the very reason Jesus came. Jesus reveals what the Messiah really is. And what his mission was. It was to do for humanity what humanity could not do for itself. He came to live the perfect life, to die the perfect sacrifice. His kingdom that he was bringing was different from anything that this world had ever seen or imagined. Or anything that was expected, right? It was bigger. It was more beautiful. It didn't just involve the people of Israel. But it involved the whole world. John puts it this way. This kingdom that he was bringing was so different. He talks about Jesus this way. He came to the world that he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, by the way, as Messiah, but it wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. The Jesus revolution, Jesus's way reframed what eternal and full life was at this point in history and at our point in history. Jumping back into the scene, Jesus turns to his disciples with Peter on his right and says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Whoever loses their life for me will find it. Hey, can we be honest right now? These words, this teaching doesn't make sense to our ears at first listen. Now, Peter's advice, if we were in that room, we probably would have been shaking our heads. Lord, you can't die. We probably would have been shaking our heads. But when you hear these words from Jesus, these words, if you want to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. It would have left us spinning. Now, follow with me. If you are in occupied Israel, you have learned how to preserve your life. The Roman soldiers who were occupying your world, your home world, your, your town, they could do whatever they wanted. You learned how to play the game. You learned how to stay out of their way. You learned how to hang on to your life in the midst of occupation and oppression. You with me? You learned how to function. You learned how to self-preserve. You learned how to be comfortable. You learned how to pursue the good life as best you knew it and as best you could. And here is Jesus. He's telling his closest friends not to run from suffering. He's telling his closest friends to embrace it, to deny oneself, to self-sacrifice, and in this you will find life. To let him lead, even if leading meant to suffering, even if it meant to death, and dropping this beautiful mic drop moment kind of line at the end, because what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose their soul? This is not an easy teaching. Paul picks up this very idea in his letter to the Romans, by the way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. They had an imagination on what a living sacrifice was. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any longer, uh, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing You may discern what is the good will and perfect acceptable will of God. What is shaping, what is framing your view of the good life, the full life? Where does your direction and trajectory come from? Do you have in your mind's eye the things of God or the things of men, even if they sound defensible and reasonable? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Do You see the overlap this morning. Uh, to be Jesus' disciple, he said to his disciples, you must take up your cross. This is a voluntary invitation. And this is a form of, of torture and death. You must take up your cross and follow me. And Paul, in his letter, he says, this is my appeal. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see the overlap. This would have been shocking. This is shocking. Are you shocked? Jesus is asking his disciples and followers, surrender your lives. Even the subtly reasonable and good parts. I want all of your life. Lay it at his feet on that altar. This is the ask, this is the challenge, this is the invitation from the gospel in our word this morning. I like how Eugene Peterson talks about this Romans passage. He says it this way, please take up your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What is framing our understanding of following Jesus? And am I being honest about it? Have I become so well-adjusted to the culture around me that I've settled for the reasonable and good or at least the comfortable and the convenient that Jesus would say of me, you don't have in mind the things of God but the things of man? What is framing my everyday, ordinary life? Am I comfortable with it? Is it the post-enlightenment Western philosophy? Is it the American dream? What is forming and informing my life? Is it the marketing machine that has my attention? Is it social media's influence and draw? Is it the cultural tides and pressures that push and shame in a rapidly and frantically debilitating ways that our culture and world are moving in right now? What defines the good life for me? Comfort? Convenience, success, money, toys, winning. Now, hold up, aren't some of those things good? They are. They're actually, a lot of those things, quite good and reasonable. I agree with you. But if they are our focus, then they move from being good to evil. And that's a strong word, I know. This is what the Bible calls the things that sit on the throne of God. If they have our focus, if they are our life, they are evil. God, that is his throne and his throne alone. Even if they're good, Jesus says, if something else is on his throne, you do not have setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Are we willing to be reflective enough to see that? Can we see where God is? Paul makes this a passionate appeal. Don't, please don't. Please don't do that, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then by testing, you may discern what his perfect will is. His good and acceptable and perfect will. Uh, There has been a lot of research done on how the West is doing as a society, by the way. How this secular, humanistic, Western philosophy that's been undergirded by this radical individualism, undergirded by capitalism, undergirded by consumerism, and how this society and how this life is going. Sorry, there's some ism words in there. Uh, let, me, let me just call it this, this loud voice of our day and culture that's trying to frame the lives of us. There were promises that were made that, that there would be a utopia that would come around the corner once religion had been displaced and the market and humanity could create their best version of themselves, unhinged and freed from the constructs of the old world. Especially this old Judeo-Christian way. Our happiness quotient would go up. Our leisure time, it would skyrocket Our relationships, they would be ideal. They would be perfect. Everything would progress, eventually progressing into this good life, this utopia. The data and our experience of this and this promise of this vision is a delusion. It's not true. It's not panning out. The promise is under-delivering. But Jesus invites his disciples, he invites his followers, he invites us to a different way of doing life. A way of life that in his words, not mine, are bigger and fuller than any life we could have dreamed or imagined. This is from John ten ten, And a life that is framed and valued differently than what the world's values and how the world frames life. One where uh, the way to fullness is sacrifice. One where uh, the way to contentment is service. One where the way of actualization isn't found by yourself at Burning Man, but as part of a community, as part of a body, which is what we were always intended to be. That's what the rest of our reading is about. Where the community, the body of Christ comes together, each playing a role, each encouraging one another, each building the other up, coming together. The way of Jesus being lived out because it's a hard thing. We need each other. I need Christ in you. You need Christ in me. We need each other and we need each other together. Jesus called this way of life the narrow way. But he also called it the way to true joy and true freedom. But But the voice of the world is so loud and it's so constant. It is. And our enemy is so sneaky and so subtly good at it. Uh, We're about to start the screw tape letters in our pastorates. And Lewis in his imagination captures beautifully the cleverness of our enemy and how he distracts and how he tempts. And how he tries to reframe our lives and how he tries to persuade us to conform to the patterns of this world. But the voice of God for the people of God is there whispering in our ears, shaping the people of God, equipping the people of God, transforming the people of God by the renewal of our minds and our hearts, empowering, making us come alive. Why are we talking so much in the past months about hearing and, and listening and following the leading of the voice of God. And it's not because we're plugging an event, but it's because it's the foundational piece for the people of God. To know the voice of the shepherd, So that he can lead us into the pastures and into the places set before us. Holy Spirit is doing a work in the people of God, renewing our mind, forming and framing our minds and lives in the knowledge of the gospel. Please, please keep your eyes focused on Jesus. How Jesus lived, what Jesus valued, abiding in his power, living a life of love marked by his words of both encouragement and warning. Abide in Christ is what scripture says. Eyes and life focused on the vine. Jesus reframes our lives. He reframes friendship for us. He reframes love. He reframes suffering and pain. Trust in the God of the universe that he's going to carry through you, through the season you are in, setting all things to rights. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the way of the cross. He showed them what it looks like to deny themselves, what it meant to take up a cross to apprentice this king in this kingdom. And this kingdom and this cross, it becomes a crown and a salvation. Death becomes life. And we share company with and for the master who wrote this world into being and who is writing a beautiful ending. Conforming to the patterns of this world is easy. You go with the current of this world and the enemy wants nothing more than to form and shape you into his image. But let's not. Let's be people that are transformed, marked differently, with eyes focused on Christ, living and loving differently, priorities and actions held in the hands of a master who holds the world's stories together in his hands who is writing something beautiful, a symphony that's bigger and more beautiful and bold than anything we could have ever imagined or asked. This is our God and he is at work. He is building his church. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to finish this morning by praying this prayer that Jesus prayed over his disciples. So you pray with me. Gotta pray... Not that you take your people out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You said we are not of this world, even as Jesus was not of it. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent Jesus into the world, Father, you send us into this world. Father, give us unity. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom that the world will see and know that you are our God and that you are transforming a people for yourself. Give us this, Jesus, your mind, your eyes to do life differently, to recognize your voice as you lead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.